our world is full of locked doors. Most walk by these doors, accepting a traditional path. Some find the person with the key or pick the lock. Well, our guest today decided doors as an institution were overrated and instead took down the wall. I give you Lauren Ludwig and Monica Miklas of Capital W. And she's on the front porch with like seven police officers. Can you please tell me what's going on? There's a helicopter There's a circling. Helicopter. They won't talk to you in this situation. They've got a narrative. That and would be rad. What immersive does is it reconnects you to your body, reconnects you to your heart. Like when it felt real and it felt like magic was possible and it felt like the limitless potential in the world, you we were very hungry for that. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Skye, the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the masters of immersive experience create and conjure, muse and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is immersive entertainment. Welcome. Lauren, Monica, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you for... Thank you guys for coming on. For having us? For having us. Yeah, sorry. I got... Did you get overwhelmed by saying the same thing? I got overwhelmed by saying the same thing as Lauren. I like to not copy her. Monica and I spend a lot of time together as creative partners and sometimes become weird uh, twinsies. Yeah. Sometimes we dress like each other by accident. That creative telepathic (laughs) bond. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like sisters slash wives. Yeah, wives. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So to start out with, um, if you guys could choose to live in any kind of fictional or fantasy world, which one would you choose to live in or exist in in some capacity? Um Mine is so, <laughs> I was thinking a lot about this and I think mine is like, I wish I could live in the movie Clue, like Ooh. in a, a heightened comedic Agatha Christie universe. That oh, I love and, it. Right. And this also relates to my desire growing up to live in uh, the show Murder, She Wrote in, <gasps> in Cabot Cove, Maine. It's a soft murder. Oh, okay. Moments, okay. Right? I mean, in an alternate life, I live in Maine for sure. Totally. So that one makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I love that. Um, mine is definitely a world where magic is real. Great. And, um, the, the touchstone that's coming to mind are the, his dark materials. Oh, that's a great one. Which are also sort of steampunk, which I'm very into. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, but yeah, definitely. I like that. That one's also like very physics based as well. Absolutely. It's it's an alternate physics. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I love that Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. That, that is a truly incredible book series and oh, very, very disappointing movie um, yes. in correlation. It was a pretty we movie, but uh, on HBO. Yeah. They, um, I know. Did you guys see the trailer? Yet? Yeah. It looks good. It looks yeah. way darker. I think it's going to be much better. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Which is good because I, the books definitely have a, a bit of a tinge of darkness to them in and of themselves or a more tinge. than a bit. Certainly. <laughs> yeah. I know that parts are way dark. I have a spoiler in the third book where they kill God. I was like, Oh, this book does oh, not shit. care. I know this book is like not messing yeah. around. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I know my partner's about to read them for the first time. We just got them for him. I'm oh, so, so excited. Really excited. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Mm. Oh okay. my word. Um, 
Okay, so for those who aren't familiar, um, could you tell us a little bit about your path with immersion, um, your personal context, and how how you guys arrived inside of the world of immersive things? Yeah, totally. Um, oh, I should have said earlier, this is Lauren. This is what my voice sounds like. Mm-hmm. And this is Monica. This is what my voice <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So oh, we, yes. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I got, we started making immersive theater as a company um, four years ago. Um, but before that, I felt like, I still feel like the lineage for me really starts like in childhood, like playing like very elaborate, like all day long, make believe games that I had forced the neighborhood kids to play with me. kind of just for us and like involved some really intense production design (laughs) and like, and then like going into, I was like, well, I guess I have to go into theater if that's what I like. And, you know, after going to school for it and spending some time in Chicago doing traditional theater, I, my work was heading towards like site specific, but not quite immersive. Okay. And I really, right. right, I liked the site specific stuff, but my mind hadn't fully made the leap towards the interactivity or participatory nature um, it hadn't made the leap towards valuing the physical experience of the audience in a deep way like we do now. Um, mm-hmm. So it took a little while. That was sort of my early 20s. And then there was a period of time going away towards doing film and television in Los Angeles, which I still do and enjoy. But like, I, that's so, I think what I loved about that is it was so logistically intense. Um, right, right. Being in those mediums, really so many moving parts. And I started to be like, I wish theater felt that way too. Um, and right around then, like a lot of people, I started to hear about a show called Sleep No More. And then eventually when I saw it, oh, this is giving me a million ideas. Like, I don't want to make this show, but well, one, it already exists and it's great. But two, like, I think I felt drawn from the beginning to make something more um, intimate, more about like one-on-one human connection, something that you feel like you had just been on like an amazing date or an incredible dinner party or just like have the deepest conversation with a friend a little bit stoned i want to make sure that make you feel that way <laughs> um and i think i we were very hungry for that when we first started uh, capital w absolutely and for me i have a, a traditional theater background you know acted as a kid was always in plays and things through college and then in grad school, I started getting uh, more interested in participatory experiences. I got turned on to a book, I think via a conference uh, called the Participatory Museum. Um, And I I work at a museum now and uh, I'm very interested in other types of cultural institutions. And the Participatory Museum really blows up the model of this um, kind of A to B relationship where there's this institution that is pushing out uh, art to be received by an audience and says, well, why can't the audience also be creating art or creating context for art? Um, So that was really formative. And then I worked on a show. I was a dramaturg on a show uh, that was devised. So I was very into devised work and uh, it had some interactive elements that did not work at all. (laughs) And that was a great lesson in, it gave me a taste of what. Okay. And um, definitely some lessons in what not to do. Right. And so then when we started hearing about Sleep No More, Lauren was concurrently getting more interested in this interactive work. It made sense to try it and start exploring some of those pathways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, certainly. And I find it fascinating how almost almost everyone who I've chatted with thus far anyway, um, who is slash our creators in the immersive space um 
have in one way or the other a path that traces back um, quite a ways oftentimes to childhood insofar as what has pulled into this. Because I almost feel like oftentimes once you find yourself in the world of immersion, it's just kind of there's something that it's just been the only thing that makes sense. I agree. Mm -hmm. I just never felt better growing up than when I was like deep, I could convince myself that the imaginary world I was playing with, with my siblings and friends was real. Like when it felt real and it felt like magic was possible and it felt like anything, there was like limitless potential in the world that felt so amazing. And I was like, I started to be like, why can't we feel that as adults? Right. That feels so good. So nourishing. And on the other side of that coin, as a kid, one of the things that was such a great frustration to me is if you go to a place like Disney World or something and you're in Toontown and there's all these little houses and you can't go inside them. Yes. I hated that as a kid. You're right. I hated that. I hated not being able to open the drawers. I, I hated built environments that weren't fully functional. Yeah, 100%. So why yeah. can't I play with this? Oh, totally. And I that's one of the that things that, that immersive really seeks to to engage with or to create these fully realized yeah. worlds or imaginative worlds where you are able to fill in all the gaps yourself through the story. Yeah, but you can't find the edge of it right. if it's done well. Right. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. That The dissolving of that edge is, I mean, kind of, I would argue probably the trickiest thing insofar as immersive experiences, which I from what I understand, social immersion is able to do that, or from what I've seen, social immersion is able to do that in a much more seamless way because you're not leaning mm-hmm. on a set on an environment because that's much harder to do. I feel like I remember reading an article or a snippet somewhere about um, set designers and Meow Wolf just like being incredibly frustrated by the presence of fire escape signs and not really knowing like how to handle that, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, just big glowing thing that is very much of our world in a place that's not supposed to be. Right. Exactly. We are always d- having those conversations about mm-hmm. the safety versus immersion line. You know, it's complicated because of course, obviously the fire signs, like, of course we don't want it there. We know why we can't block them, but I so feel the same way of like, it reminds me it's fake. So we have this, like, I mean, it's interesting for us. The internal debate is like, everybody really does know it's fake. Like at some mm-hmm. part of their brain, like people know that they stepped into a fictionalized experience. So it's not like you ever really get people to forget that. And in some ways you don't want them to 100% forget that because then they lose critical distance from the work. They can't engage with what does this work make me think about in my normal life? And it can also create a confusion about what rules apply to the world that you're in, which can lead to real questions about safety. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people who work in alternate reality experiences or alternate reality games deal with even much more than we do. Yeah. Or the haunts and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a real question for us. I mean, we, the show we did where I think we dissolved the line the most, what is red flags, which is our one-on-one first date show where you basically have met a, a woman on an app and dating app. And then you're meeting her for this first date. And we tell you, we advertise the show as being a very bad first date. So for us, once you buy the ticket, we wanted to create a situation where the only person you ever hear from is that character. And when you show up, you're just meeting that character on a street corner in front of a bar and you at the end get a final text from her. And that's kind of it. You never interact with the box office. Never um, get a program. Yeah. All that stuff. So that was the sort of farthest we've gone in that direction. And it does, I think we definitely, I think it works. 
Um, but it's a short experience. And I think about like, uh, part of the reason we really achieve it is also we are leading into the sort of natural <laughs> set design of pre-existing bars and pre-existing street quarters. Like we, the only fictional thing we create is the woman inside of it. Yeah. And her costume. So we tried to, as like a, so far often very low budget enterprise, like we have had to think, well, how can we use what already exists and then create something immersive inside of it right. more than maybe other bigger companies, you know, have. Yeah. And I mean, I, still think that social immersion dynamics wind up being just so much. I, I refrain from getting comparative here because it is very much different things, but just incredibly yeah. powerful and holding a lot more potential than I think is yet to be realized, which part of the reason I was so fascinated seeing what um, you guys are doing with red flags. Cause like, Oh my gosh, this is yeah. like, just a completely alien concept to me at the time. Like, but this makes so many different kinds of sense. Um, yeah. So I do have to ask, um, you had mentioned a little bit earlier about an incident where there was um, some perils within a particular immersive show where someone oh, misunderstood yeah. what was going on. The cops arrived. Is there any chance you could uh, elaborate or tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So we, uh, yeah, I mean, actually this is, fits perfectly into this question of like safety and like how real is too real. <laughs> yeah. The responsibility of, I know. And... So yeah. How to keep your actors safe. I mean, we did a show called Rochester 1996, which tells the story of a queer teenage girl growing up in 1996 in Rochester. Mm. And she's the daughter of a pastor, um, at a Methodist church. And so you're following her on like three and a half hours a Sunday in her life. Um, it's this really elaborate logistical thing with like five different locations and a church van and 12 audience members being taken everywhere. And you're kind of moving in and out of being in this main character's headspace. There's a lot going on. Um, and at the climax of the piece, the pastor, the father and the daughter um, and another woman from the church all get like get into this fight on the side of the road and the a van- verbal fight verbal fight sorry yes. yes not a physical fight not a physical fight exactly and so we're you know but we're doing a lot of this guerrilla style in terms of like well we're just pulling the van over in a place that we planned that we think is going to be safe but we don't have like a permit to perform there no. per se. Mm-hmm. and this particular spot mm-hmm. the first spot we used for this fight was along the 101 freeway in los angeles yeah in la or actually the 10 along the 10 yeah yeah um and there's kind of a, a field next to the 10 there. So, you know, everyone was safe. You're up a hill from the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Very so safe. Yeah. However, there's a ridge up above it with houses. Yeah. So basically, we're in rehearsal and we practice the fight dress scene. Rehearsal. Dress rehearsal. We're really close to opening. Yeah. We do the fight scene. We get in the car and we keep doing the run through. And we get to the last location of the piece, which is actually Monica's real house. Which the we real were, house. Which we were using as the pastor's house. Yeah. And we're maybe 10 minutes into the final scene at that house when suddenly one of our actors starts saying, Lauren, Lauren. And I like try to find her. She's out front because she's already done her final exit out of the show. And I go out there and she's on the front porch with like seven police officers, four cop cars on the street. There's a helicopter helicopter. One or two of the cops had their guns out and drawn and she's an african-american actress and like we my immediate thing was like oh my god what is happening and could something worse have just been about to happen um and then i come out there and they're not really listening to me i'm saying this is they're saying we need to know who owns this white van who's the owner and driver of this white van and i'm like 
I'm a director. This is a play. Can you please tell me what's going on? They won't talk to me. At first we thought maybe we're getting, because I think we're filming. Yeah, we think a permit. Yeah, but of course this would be but, a I mean, serious firepower. Yeah. yeah. So then, they, but they won't really answer me. And so then finally, I put, bring out Tad, who is the registered driver of our rental van because uh, he plays that pastor character and he has to drive the van in character. And so I bring him outside, and then finally they'll sort of they like start grilling him, and it becomes clearer that they think that he had kidnapped. They've gotten a call that a man has kidnapped a young girl, a young girl, and put her in a white van and driven away with her. So some like, you know, interested neighbor, I guess we could say like concerned bystander, but uh, I mean, above and beyond, because that's not, well, whatever. I mean, they were wrong, but they basically, that person had seen us outside, gotten in their car, called 911 and followed our van while on the phone with 911. You think they followed us? Oh, we know for a fact they did. Yes. How do you know that? Because we found out from the cops, this person followed us. Oh, gee. And that's how they knew where we Lit, that, yeah, that's how they got there so fast. Minutes later, that that's they right. got there. Yeah, and so by this point, I'm outside. I'm saying this is my house. What this is a play. This is all. Shut. They've taken Tad to the side and they're interviewing yeah. him. It's crazy. It's and then nuts. And I'm in the meantime so concerned about having to pay money to a because we don't have a permit. I being a film. This is a play. It's not a film. And they're like, that's not our concern right now. Yeah, we're concerned you kidnapped something. But then they had to walk through the house. Yeah, it was pretty oh. intense. And in the meantime, one been in the van as part of the show has to take a shower. So she's in the shower. Oh, God, I forgot about that. And then has to get dressed. And they're like, where is the other person? Where is the other person? I'm like, she's in the shower. We're sorry. We're I know. Sorry. It was pretty It was pretty traumatizing in the sense of, like, they come in, you know, in that way that police do of, like, not really taking in the situation. They've got a narrative, and they're pushing that narrative so literally forcefully that you're really scared in a moment for, like, am I going to be able to break through this yeah. to actually get them to see what's going on? Like, that was pretty intense in in retrospect i mean that that period though lasted about a minute yeah it's exactly it felt forever because i see lorinda with them and then they don't also listen to me when i come out right and they really don't start listening until tad is outside so i found that to be yeah one of our scariest experiences i mean truly scary and it was one of those things that after it happened we all kind of went oh my gosh that was crazy and kind of laughed yeah a gallows humor laugh and then the next day is when i went like oh my God, somebody could have died. Yeah. And it was really uh, an important lesson that, thank God, didn't involve any lasting damage of how seriously you need to take bystanders. Yes. And and the illusion of danger. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like the illusion yeah. of danger can produce real danger. That's a great way to put it. What we ended up doing was changing some of the locations, and we made sure that the place where the fight took place was truly an abandoned alley. Mm-hmm. And then we also made sure that earlier in the show, when one of the women is one of the women has been uh, physically abused by her husband, and the van yeah. goes to pick her up, and so she's on this, she's waits in a park for us, covered in like bruise makeup and fake blood, and so she would arrive early for her calls and tell all of the real people in the park around her, "I am an actor. Yeah. I am in an immersive show." I am going to, in about 10 minutes, a group of people are going to come and I'm going to seem to be in pain. I'm going to seem to be crying and I need you to just know it's a play. Yeah. And so she started warning everybody and you taught her to say it in we Spanish. We gave too. her a, a little card that said, this is makeup. I'm an actor. I'm in a play. I'm fine. Yeah. That she could hand to folks. Yeah. Kind of show to people yeah. in the park. Yeah. It was, it's, it definitely was, a, <laughs> you know, because Whoa. we can't, we don't have the resources to do all of it 
buy the book in a way where we can lock down stuff. Like we have to, as right. you said, like the social, yeah, we can't close the street, social immersion. Like, it, yeah, I, I like that idea and that's what we do lean into it, but it means that there's a different kind of responsibility you take. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. That is, that is quite the story. Yeah, um, certainly. <laughs> I thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think the, there's a lot of interesting concepts around rigidity and narrative um, or getting into the psychology side, the rigidity and the default mode network, what have you, and the ways in which that sometimes needs to be challenged or the difficulties that comes when that, that set story that someone is telling themselves is not um, changed, whether that, you know, be in a context like that, or, I mean, that can show up at any point in time in any everyday life. Um, mm, totally. So to move to something a, a wee bit fluffier, um, <laughs> shall we uh, do our make it immersive segment? Yes, let's. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I am so, so interested in the concept of dark materials um, and we can totally get to both, but I am drawn to start there. Um, Where would your head go in so far as like, say, dealing with the dynamic of having the animal familiar in an immersive experience? Well, I would probably make the audience the daemon. The demon, sorry, I never say it right. I would make the audience, you show up and you're the demon you're of the a character, oh of, of an actor, yes. of a character. So like, you, that, that's so us, like the yes. intimate relationship between demon and person, that would be the most interesting thing. Or reverse it, you show up and there's and an, an actor, actor who's, who's your, your demon. demon. The interesting thing about you, the audience being the demon, is that it allows you to really tell a story with the actors they can be scripted. They can be on a more of a path to tell the narrative you want to get across. Mm-hmm. That's right. And then the audience is responding. Right. Which is more what the demons do in the book. Right. Yeah. yeah the demons are driving the action of the story, but yes. they are actively responding and taking part in it. This is something fun about the audience being told what animal they are and then their mm-hmm. imagination informing that because yeah. you're not going to be able to do that in a truly effective way like not in a seamless way i'll say you can do puppetry stuff you can do other things mm-hmm. but like it's interesting to engage audience imagination to fill in the gaps in that case Absolutely. i'd say i think we're excited about that actually is like where the audience's imagination can help you bridge the gap between what's actually achievable and what's not yes yeah i think there's a, a perspective in immersive work that sort of what we were saying like everything has to be star wars galaxy edge for it to be yeah. legit and that really, mm-hmm. I mean, that stuff's awesome. It's super cool. So amazing. But we don't have the resources to do that. Most people don't. Do that. And also it devalues the human imagination. Right. <laughs> right. You're not giving the audience enough credit for what they might be able to bring to the table in terms of imagination. Yeah. So that would be really fun. Mm. And then I feel like we'd want to do like a side adventure that's in the world, but it's not yeah. the main, on not any finding of the, main the plots. compass. But no, nothing Lara related. Like you'd want to do something that just was in the universe. Yeah. Probably but give some reference, maybe. Yeah, yeah, a mission from one of the other characters. Or... I mean, it would be fun to do it at a college and explore oh, like yeah. Oxford, the Oxford space. Yeah, because that's such a rich part of those books. Absolutely. Yeah, a scavenger hunt kind of thing through a college campus. 
Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Oh. Right? There's something there. Yeah, I'm sold. That would be way too much fun. fun. I mean, another way to do it in this world is to name that you're in Will's universe, which is our universe. And like, you're looking for the, like the, the break or like the passage to the other kind Mm -hmm. of one of the other worlds. Like you're, you lean into the fact that we're here actually, but you make that sort of exciting and interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That would be another way to do it. <laughs> Something that's funny about this exercise is it's making me realize how much my brain has been trained to figure out what's the low budget, Absolutely. Like, achievable version yeah. of the thing that still feels. Because of course there's yeah, a budget with, with projection mapping and yeah, exactly. There's a crazy stuff, but... version, but yeah, yeah. it'd be really interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that also just opens the door to a lot of potential for creativity because obviously as as the world of immersion grows like what really is going to help it grow in so many ways is that type of thinking being like hey you actually don't need to you know spend all this money on all these on on a galaxy's edge experience or even you know drop like 30k to put together something like an escape room like you can do so much with just imagination yeah. to your guys's point. Um, yeah. I think as, you know, as folks in this industry, we have a bit of a responsibility to promote that idea because I think that immersive experiences are so powerful that they should not be just things that are available to the wealthy or people with disposable income. Or just things that are attached to different um, IP that is being marketed by a giant mega corporation. Right. I mean, I am not here for that. The corporatization of this art form, which is, I've seen such a huge upswing in the last two years as like different, these different corporations have figured out, oh, actually people want to engage with stuff this way. Great. We'll commodify it immediately. And I feel like there's been a real rush in the artistic community to embrace those dollars. And I get that because we all need, need to make money. We need to make money. And we're in late stage American capitalism. So I get it. But that said, I, I deeply believe that there, those, those experiences are not ever going to truly be about nourishment or pushing people right. to deal with, uh, you know, different things the way art can do. So I think it's important that we still have low barrier for entry options as immersive artists so that the art can continue to be progressive and provocative and uh, engaging. And that this is a thing that, I mean, I would like to see, immersive theater in every community where there's theater. Yes. And I agree. Same. And, but that right. requires just another genre of theater. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. All right. So we are um, coming up on uh, towards the end of things, um, though I really do want to hit uh, the other side of make it immersive. Um, so I am so sorry. I got so wrapped into his dark materials. I completely forgot your answer to the initial question, but oh I really God, do no want problem. to explore I'll, I'll pitch it because mine is interesting. So I said clue or like Agatha Christie. World. Oh yes. Yes. It's funny. It's like, you'd think, okay, murder mystery. Like we already right. have this one, but I actually think it really like, if I think about the capital W R version of it, mom, then I think about like, what about like you show up and it's like a really intimate one-on-one with like professor like plum. And he's like, really depressed about like and you're like processing the grief of the loss of like the butler or whatever like it's like a very like realistic total realism really realistic exploration of grief when you live in a space where people are constantly murdered ridiculously ridiculously. (laughs) i just think that could be totally insane (laughs) and you never saw it definitely that would be fascinating yeah, yeah. <laughs> super realism. <laughs> and also just like sometimes murders aren't solved, you guys. There's no answer to this. 
I really like that too. Right, Lots right. Like take it from like a cold case dynamic where you don't necessarily have to feel obligated to seed like the kind of yeah. traditional murder mystery dynamics into it. I mean, you could if you wanted to, yes. but um. intentionally subvert them. Yeah, I think that's fun. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh. <laughs> All right. So um, since we only have just a few minutes left, um, would you guys be down to jump into just a few rapid fire questions here? Sure, sure. let's do it. So, um, what is one immersive experience that you are particularly excited about the potential of? Mm. Like one that we know exists that is happening or like one that like is like so abstract that we don't even know. Yeah. Um, like one that's happens. happening preferably. <laughs> you get like a real thing about that happening. Oh, well, I'm really excited about, um, the, to see what Meow Wolf does in Denver. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited about that, even though it's a little ways out. Yeah. Um, there's a show happening here in LA. Gosh, what is it called? What's Spencer Williams show called? The candle one. Don't know. Oh, my friend Spencer and I, Spencer, I'm sorry if you're listening. Um, he is doing a show where it's all about smell. Oh, cool. And about mm. how smell is related to memory. I am super interested in exploring sensory experiences through immersive work. Because um, right now, a lot of it's visual, aural, and then you get into some touch. But then I think... Uh, Light your tails by candlelight? Tails by candlelight. Okay, I looked it up. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Um, yeah, I really want to see it, and I'm just intrigued by the possibility of of because ex- there's of course more than five senses yeah. of exploring all of our senses through this type of work. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that would be. I I've wanted to chat with him for quite some time. Actually, that the idea of smell and how it relates to memory so strongly um, is really really fascinating mm-hmm. to me. Um, yeah. All right. So what kind of impact um, do you think that immersive theater could have on our culture as a whole? Um, and I know this is the worst thing to have be a rapid fire question, but say if yeah. every theater community also had strong and healthy amount of immersive theater in it as well. I think it would radically alter the American landscape in the sense that we are a culture that has sort of stratified our own bodies and experiences and told ourselves that the mind is primacy is like prime, right? It's like the primary we're supposed to be processing everything. But what immersive does is it reconnects you to your body, reconnects you to your heart. Um, and it basically forces you to process experience through all of your facilities in a way that I think is much healthier and sort of recalibrates us as individuals. And when we recalibrate as individuals, the culture recalibrates as well. So I think its potential for healing and transformation is pretty profound. Yeah, it has the the capacity to expose you to uh, things that you've been hiding from or things that are traumatic in a way that feels exploratory and and safe to a certain extent yeah totally. yeah i um i am maybe irrationally optimistic about the potential there um to be completely honest i think that there's so much space right? for yeah, it i mean clearly we are those were crazy yeah. <laughs> crazy but i feel like so <laughs> real say. like there's so much merit to it especially if you go back to mediums like um playback improv and kind of what that does um but yeah, anyway, so I know that you guys have to um, attend to other things in the immediate future, um, but I would just very much like to say thank you once again for coming on. I appreciate your time. Um, where can our guests find you guys? 
We have a website. Or sorry, where can our audience find you guys? Yeah, uh, We have a website. It's uh, capital WPerformance.com. Uh, we are also on Instagram at capital W perf, which is short for performance. Yeah. Um, those are, those are our two big channels. Um, folks who are interested should always join our mailing list. Uh, we often release tickets there early and do show announcements there as well. Yeah. And because our shows always are, we're really focused on intimate audience experiences. We often have tickets to sell. So they'll often sell out just from the mailing list. Indeed. That's- that's my hard push, my hard sales push. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. No, and um, of course, um, for everybody listening, all of the mentioned links will be in the show notes so that you guys can check that out at your own convenience. Um, and then just as a final thing, is there anything that you would like to ask of our audience or recommend to them um, in the vein of immersive exploration experience and so on and so forth? Mm. Well, I guess in terms of our own stuff, we're about to do another round of shows of red flags. So mm. I'll say that we would recommend, we uh, <laughs> recommend our own show. Well, should I just we? did. I guess we should. That's true. Yeah. We're really excited about that. Um, and our friends at the Speakeasy Society are about to close out their Kansas cycle. That's been like a three-year-long project for them. So Absolutely. the final chapter of that is opening soon, and that's an awesome. That's an awesome uh, episodic experience they've been building. Totally. And if you're in LA in the month of June, the Hollywood Fringe Festival is oh, happening. Yes. There's a number of immersive shows, some of which still have tickets, some of which are sold out. And then there's lots of other theater too, because I think that having a kind of a balanced diet of theater. Um, helps bring perspective on right on what immersive is doing. Yeah, what immersive is. Yeah, it's a great way to see a lot of things affordably in a very short amount of time, which I, I think really helps develop your taste as an audience member. Yeah. Certainly, certainly. And I will I will second that recommendation um, for the red, red flag show. Um, truly, truly unique and incredible. Um, and just as a final note to leave off on, um, I like, so when you said or when we were going through his dark materials um, and looking for a portal, um, Speakeasy Society was the first thing that came to mind. Yeah, that's true. Imagine if at some point in time you guys wound up doing something with them. I cannot even imagine what would come out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that'd be fun. But anyhow. They're very ours, so. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, that would be rad. Wonderful. You guys, once again, thank you so much. And of course, everybody, thank you for listening. Calling all immersive adventurers, explorers, connoisseurs, and artists. The immersive revolution is just beginning. All that is to say, we would love any feedback that you might have on the show. What do you want to hear more of, less of? Anyone in particular you'd like us to have on the show? I would love to hear your thoughts. So please rate us, review us, or just drop us a line on the website at immersionnation.com. I always love having conversations about this wide and wild world that we are both living in and creating. Once again, this is the Immersion Nation podcast. Thank you for joining us in this adventure.